John's Gospel, chapter number 15. Continue for a while looking at this discourse the Lord gave before his death to the eleven disciples. So the end of John 14 tells us they arise from the upper room and go hence where he's headed toward Gethsemane. And he says in chapter 15, in verse number 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And we'll stop our reading right there this morning. We'll be preaching on the subject of the true vine. The true vine. Now this is a blessed passage of scripture for God's people. Oftentimes it's not viewed that way, uh, but it is a blessed passage of scripture for the people of God. Jesus, as we said many times in chapter 13, um, began this discourse loving those unto the end. He loved those who were his own, and he loved them to the end. Uh, chapter 14, he tells them, let their not hearts be troubled, that he's going to send the comforter to come. And now he continues on this discourse with the eleven disciples. Judas has already gone to betray him, but this is just with the eleven to speak to them about him being the true vine. So Jesus and the disciples have left the upper room, and now they're headed towards Gethsemane. Some people say that they've passed the temple and there were some uh, vines that they would hang on the temple or some decorations there and he might have saw that. Or, or maybe they passed the vineyard and saw the cuttings all over the ground. That would have been the time of year that they'd start pruning. Um, but it really doesn't matter where they are. But the disciples would have known about pruning and vineyards and brush piles and twigs and shoots and branches. They would have been familiar with, with how to do that and, and the process involved in it. And so Jesus takes this illustration to comfort his disciples and to encourage them um, to continue to put their faith in him. Christ comforts his disciples not to become fruit inspectors, but to be in him. The comfort comes from being ab abiding in Christ. The comfort comes from Jesus. Now, your only hope your only comfort in life and death this morning is to be in Christ. That, that you are not your own, but belong with body and soul, life and death, to the faithful Savior Jesus Christ who's paid for your sins with the precious blood and set you free over the power of the devil. Our only hope is to found in Christ. It's not, in, it's not found in how much we do or what we do for the Lord, but what the Lord has done for us. And so... Christ encourages his disciples that, that life is found in him. So uh, this message this morning on the true vine, uh, we're going to look 
briefly uh, uh, and think about uh, the way to read this text and, and what we have to think about before we dig into this. And then we're going to think about the true vine and then what it is to abide in Christ. So, so how do we read this text? Well, first of all, we have to know that it's an illustration. Jesus is illustrating a truth with a familiar um, situation, something everybody knew about, something his disciples knew about, and he said it's like this, and he gives this illustration, farming illustration. Don't be like Peter. Remember, Jesus used the illustration of the washing of the feet. Well, Peter took it literally. He said, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body. Well, he missed the point because he missed the illustration. So Jesus obviously is not literally a vine. And the father is not literally a farmer. This is an illustration that Jesus used to make, it a, po- make a point. So imagine um, an elementary school teacher trying to teach kids about fractions. And so uh, my teacher, I remember this lesson, my teacher drew a circle and said, all right, let's imagine this is the circles of pizza. And I remember the teacher drawing, said, if we draw this line, he said, now we've, we've made a half. So this side is half a pizza, and that side is another half of a pizza. And then they drew different lines, and now this could be a fourth of a pizza. And that, you know, I remember that's how I learned about fractions. But what if there was one boy that heard that and <clears throat> raised his hand, said, yeah, you have a question? He said, yeah, what kind of pizza is it? The teacher said, well, it doesn't matter what kind of pizza it is. He raises his hand again. Well, is it Chicago-style or New York-style pizza? Well, it doesn't really matter because that's... He raises his hand again. Well, who made it? Is that a birthday party? Was it a home-bought? Is it a store-bought? Did they get it delivery? Well, the teacher might finally just say, look, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is not what kind of pizza it is or who made it or where it came from or where they're eating it. The illustration is just about how it's cut up and divided. And so when we... When we look at illustrations in the Bible, we have to say, what, what's the point of this? What is the overall teaching being made? And then, and then go from there. And not try to make every word mean more than it does. And so this is an illustration. And Jesus is making a very particular point. Now, this, this illustration teaches many different truths. I'm not saying it can only teach one thing. It teaches a lot of different things. But we just have to be careful to understand the purpose of the illustration first. To understand what the point of the thing is. So the teacher's trying to teach fractions and all these other things don't matter because it's just part of the story to get in your mind. Well, this is the illustration. So what's the point of the illustration? What's Jesus communicating to us? And don't make things that don't particularly apply to the illustration, to the point that he's making, don't make them think, mean things that they don't, he wasn't intending them to make. We can't divorce it, the illustration from the overall point that Jesus is making. But like I said, this is, this is a brilliant illustration because it teaches many things. And the reason I'm stressing this is because somebody take the, some people take this illustration and make this to teach the opposite of what Jesus was saying, as we'll see in just a minute. What is this teaching? Well, um, it teaches that the child of God doesn't have power to do good from himself. 
that it comes from another source. That the goodness that we do and the good fruit that we may produce doesn't come from our own power. It comes from another source within us. It teaches that we have, we are dressed, we are abiding in him and we have life in Christ. It also teaches that if you don't have life in Christ, then uh, you will not abide. You will be uh, judged. It teaches that, that the Father sanctifies us with the goal, with the desire that we produce more fruit. But, it, but the fruit is there only if there is life. That life doesn't make the fruit, but because there is life, there will be fruit. And so that's the first thing. It's illustration. So what's the point of the illustration? And don't go farther than what the Lord did with, with the illustration. We have to know the context of the passage, too. So not just the immediate context of this chapter, but know that this was the upper room discourse that started in chapter 13. Know that he's talking to his 11 disciples and that Judas, the betrayer, has already left. That he's not talking to lost people. He's not talking to people in an evangelistic sense um, for, to, to, to turn from their sins. He's talking to believers who are cleansed, who are in him, teaching them divine truth. We also know it's in the context of the, the gospel of John that we might believe in him and have life through his name. John 20, 30, and 31 says that's the whole point of this book, that we might believe in Jesus, that our faith might be in Jesus, that we might have life through Jesus' name, not through our works or not through our disciplines, but through what Jesus does for us, life in his name. So that is, that, that's what we have to have coming into this uh, so we won't get taken astray. All right, so the first thing that we will look at as far as the text goes is that Jesus is the true vine. He doesn't say, I am the vine, but he says, I am the true vine. Now, don't miss that very important word, true, there. The, I looked up the Thayer's definition of that word, true, was that that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature in respect to the corresponding idea signified by the name, or the genuine, opposite to what is fictitious, counterfeit, or defective. So Jesus is making a comparison by saying, I am the true vine. Jesus says, I am the real deal, in other words, as opposed to that which is not. I am the true vine, opposed to that which is the dead vine. I am the true vine opposed to that which is not the genuine or that which seems to be the true vine. So first of all, he emphasizes the distinction between the true and the false. So if he is the true vine, there has to be an old vine. Now I read Psalm 80 before the service, and that's why I read, because starting in verse number 8, um, the, the psalmist talks about Israel as being a vine. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. 
then it talks about the vine being planted and the, the hills were covered with the shadow. The boughs were like the goodly cedars. So you're talking about a grapevine that grows up to be almost like a tree, a, a, a big vine that the Lord had planted there. But when we start looking through the scriptures, we find that because the, the rebellious Israel turned from the Lord, and time and time again, they broke his commandments, they worshiped false gods. So we're going to look at just a few verses here. One's in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. says, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein and looked that it should bring forth grapes and brought it forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I had not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked at it, that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall be pruned and not dig, or not be pruned and not dig. But there shall come briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain not upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. Look for judgment. Behold the oppression for the righteous, but behold a cry. So the illustration in Psalms was that the Lord took his vine and planted it in the land. He cast out all the false people in Canaan. He planted the vine. The vine began to grow, but the, the, the vine was, was a wicked vine. It wasn't bringing forth uh, fruit. And so... And now there's judgment coming. So in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 21, I'm not really digging into these, just want to show you that this is what I believe um, Jesus is comparing himself to here. In Jeremiah 2, 21, it says, Yeah, I had planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. Then how art thou turned into a degenerate plant, a strange vine unto me? Um, Ezekiel, keep going, chapter 15, verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree? Or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pen of it to hang it on a vessel thereof? Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel, and the fire devoureth both ends of it, and the midst of there is burned. It is meat. For any work? Behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be meat for yet any work when the fire hath devoured it or is burnt? Hosea 10 says that Israel was an empty vine because of the, the altars they had made and the, the false gods that they had worshipped. So the imagery of the Old Testament was that Israel became an empty vine. A degenerate plant. Good for nothing. In fact, Ezekiel said that not only was the empty vine not good for fruit because it produced nothing, but it was, the, the wood of the vine wasn't worth anything either. You can't do anything with it. 
He said, you can't take it and make a shelf out of it. You can't take it and build something with the wood. The only thing that's good for is to be cut down and burnt up. It's useless. There, there's no value in it if there's no life in it, and there's no value in it if there's no fruit. So, Jesus talking to his disciples. There on the Passover, I believe would have would have known this this concept to start with, and then Jesus says, "I am the true vine." Now, why would Jesus say he, he was the true vine, opposed to some other type of vine? Because I believe Jesus is saying, "I am the true vine, not the nation of Israel. I am the true vine, where there is life." Israel has become the degenerate plant. The priesthood is about, maybe as he's saying this, they are betraying him at that very moment. That's not the life. Not Moses. Not the, not the, the priesthood. Not the sacrifices. Not being Jewish. Not being related to Abraham. Not being circumcised. Not having the law. Not keeping the law. None of those things bring life. Because we can look and see that they had all the advantages, speaking in, in terms of the flesh, which is what Paul was getting at in, in the book of Romans, and yet they are guilty because they have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That, that Jesus, though, is the true vine. And if anyone would have life, they must be in Christ. Now, it doesn't matter if you're the high priest. It doesn't matter if you're... Uh, the high priest offering sacrifices for the children of Israel, and, and you're covered in blood, head to toe, from the offering and the sacrifices. If you are not in Christ, you are abiding in an empty vine, a degenerate plant. And I believe this is what he's saying. That there is life in me. I am the true vine. And my father is the husband. So as Christ is about to be betrayed, by the, the priests and the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees as he's about to be betrayed and handed over and, and they, they cry out, crucify him and, and charge him with blasphemy. The whole, you see, the emptiness and the worthlessness of, of religious ceremony without Christ himself. I am the true vine. Christ is the only way of life. And he says his father is the husbandman or the, or the farmer, the, the one that takes care of the vineyard. So you have the, the son and you have the father, then you have the branches. Well, in this illustration, Jesus says there's two kinds of branches. There's a fruitful branch and then there's an unfruitful branch. Every branch that in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So there's two types of, of branches. There's um, living branches, and there's dead branches. So the disciples may wonder at this point, like many people do, well, am I a living branch, or am I a dead branch? Well, Jesus says in verse number 3, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
So this is the second time Jesus has told his 11 disciples that they are clean. He told them that at when he washed their feet in the upper room, that they were clean in him. He said, one of you aren't, but, but 11 of you are clean, that you're forgiven, that you're washed, that you're saved, that your sins have, are forgiven you. And so now as he tells them and starts telling them about two types of branches, a living branch and a dead branch, he said, you are clean. I have cleansed you. That, that you, are, you are free from your sins. So again, encouragement. He, he's giving them a, a word of encouragement and, and comfort that you were clean in your sins. And then he proceeds on to tell, um, to proceed on with this, with this illustration. And he says, abide in me and I in you. So he tells them, you are clean. The 11 disciples, they are clean. They, they are in Christ. And he says, abide in me. Abide in me. There is life in Christ. And that reminds me of verse 20 of chapter 14. He says, in that day you shall know I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. So, I believe this illustration is just building upon what he's already said in John 14 about the comforter who is to come, the peace that God will give us and the joy that we have in Christ and that, that we are, he makes our, his abode with us. The comforter will come and he is the one to come along, uh, another just like Jesus, to come along and, and make his house with us. To, to, to dwell within us and so the, the, the Holy Spirit will dwell within us and we will dwell in, in Christ and Christ in us and so he's building upon what he's already said with this illustration just like we do today if you're telling somebody a concept of something and then you want to drive the point home then you'll give them an illustration you'll tell them the truth you'll tell them what you want them to know and then you might say, okay, it's like this. And you give them an illustration to try to help ground the truth. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's building upon what he's already said, driving that truth home, and then continue on progressing in, in what he's telling them. There is life in Christ. Abide in me, and I in you. That's where life is. Works don't give you life. He doesn't say, work for me and I will dwell in you. He says, abide in me and I will, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So I've, we've got some blackberry uh, bushes over at the house and I pruned them back um, this spring. And we cut them and cast them to the side. There were some dead branches. There were some old branches. There were some branches that were marked from the year before that, that weren't going to be producing anymore. And so we cut those branches off. And we put them in a pile. And if you go over right now to that pile of, of branches that's up on the hill, they're, they're devoid of any life. They're brittle, 
they're brown. You can pick them up and they start crunching. They're dried out. Why? Because they're not abiding in the divine. They've been taken. They've been separated. There is no life there. And Christ is saying, abide in me. There is life in Christ. Now, it would be foolish for me to go up and to wait on those dead branches to start producing fruit so I can take them back and put them in the vine. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? That's never going to happen. Those dead branches are never going to start producing fruit. And I'll say, well, now that it's got fruit, now I can take it and put it in the vine. And I think that sometimes people take this truth, this illustration, and try to, to say that. And they say, well, you don't have enough fruit. You better work, about, you better work harder so you can uh, know that you're in Jesus. And to abide in Jesus, you have to really work hard and you really have to produce all these works to abide in Jesus. Well, that's like saying you have to take the dead branches, the dried up, brittle, brown, uh, dead branches, and get those branches motivated enough so they start producing fruit. And then you can put them and stick them on the vine. No, Jesus is saying it cannot produce fruit unless it is in the vine. That there is life in Christ. Fruit doesn't give the branch life, but life is evidenced by the fruit that it produces. So for us in our Christian life, it's not the fruit of disciplines. It's not the fruit of stand, my standard, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. And as the Spirit abides in you, and as Christ abides in you, he produces fruit in you. This fruit of the Spirit is produced because you abide in Christ. Not so you can abide in Christ. The vine produces the grapes because it is the branch produces the grapes because it is in the vine but not the other way around so he says I'm in you and you are in me abide in me because you can't produce fruit by yourself it's impossible nobody can produce fruit except you're in me as Christ abides in us he will produce fruit in us where there's life then there'll be fruit Verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So we are in Christ, and he gives us life. And Christ is in us and produces fruit. And that fruit is produced for the glory of the Father. Because without Christ, we can't do anything. So you can't work to please God because... You can't, do, you can't produce anything without the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. So, if you're, let's say you're trying to, you're going to bake a pie for your neighbor and you want your neighbor to like you. And so you go and say, I'm going to bake a pie and then I'm going to wait for those, that, the fruit on those branches, those dead branches to produce. And then I can offer... Um, all the fruit of those dead branches uh, to my neighbor. Well, you'll be waiting a long time, won't you, to produce any fruit from dead branches. There's nothing there. There's no life there. Well, you'll be waiting a long time to be able to produce fruit above yourself. 
forever, actually, because without Christ, it is impossible. Because there's no life. We can do nothing in order to earn God's favor um, by our fleshly works. Because without Christ, we can do nothing. So that's the folly of a work salvation because you can't do anything outside of Christ. All right, so you have to have Christ before you can even begin to do anything to please the Father. For with, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, so if there's fruit, there's life. Now, here's the other way I think that this gets confused in verse number 2. Because it says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Alright, so now you've got two different kinds of, of branches here. And I think that people can sometimes conflate the two branches into one scenario. So the father here in this illustration is the husbandman. He's the farmer. And he's going to go and he's going to prune he's going to prune the, the vines. But it's important and it shows the brilliance of this il illustration because there's a difference in the two branches. There, and there's a, two different purposes of the cuttings. The purpose of pruning is so that there'll be more grapes. That's the whole reason that you do that. So most people don't take enough off whenever they start pruning because they're, they're worried that they'll take too much off and, and damage the tree. But if you don't take enough off, then there won't be fruit. So what you have to do is you have to go and cut the old wood that might have leaves on it but stops producing grapes. And you cut the old wood out, and you remove the shoots, and you clean it up a little bit so it can have sunlight, and so the, the, the vines, the healthy vines, will have the resources, and it'll start producing more fruit. So by taking off things that hinder the vine, there'll be more fruit and more growth. There might be diseased shoots or diseased parts of the vine that the husbandman has to come in and say, well, this is... This is bad for the vine. This is not going to produce fruit. And in fact, it'll, if it spreads, it'll go over and, and harm the whole branch itself. So I'm going to cut this disease out. Well, here's two shoots growing too close together that not only will it not provide any fruit being so close together, but it's going to choke out other things. So I'm going to cut these vines off and I'm going to cast them aside. Oh, and look here, this one is growing in the wrong direction. And, and by growing in the wrong direction, it's going to uh, cause shade to come over the other vines. I have to rid, rid this vine. The father, with the branches that have life, so there's a branch that has life and there's a branch that doesn't have life. With the branches that have life, the father prunes as a kind and wise husband, a kind and wise farmer. Because he goes to us, we who are in Christ, we who have life in Christ, and he prunes us that we, that we would be more fruitful. 
He prunes us not just to hurt us and not out of randomness does God discipline us, but as a wise and a kind father. In this illustration, a wise and a kind husband who wants only the best fruit. He wants only, uh, he wants the most fruit possible. And so as this farmer, he prunes and he cuts away that which is diseased and that which is broken, that more fruit would be produced in us. Whenever I was working on the apple farm, uh, we were pruning and me and this other fellow was in the same tree and we started talking and um, I got caught up in what we were talking about and I was just talking to him and only half paying attention to what I was doing and we were talking and talking and talking and I stopped and looked and I had, I had cut almost every limb off the, every branch off the limb of the apple tree and it was just completely bare. I ruined it and had to end up just, I ended up just cutting the whole thing off. I wasn't paying attention and I was just cutting as just mindlessly cutting things off and damage the tree. Well, our Father is not like that. Our Father disciplines us because He loves us. He disciplines us through the Scriptures. So you might hear a sermon that convicts you of your sin. Well, that's the, the Father being kind and, and pruning off sin and mortifying the sins, or that's what the, the Apostle says, to mortify the sins in our body, to put those things to death. Because that sin, that disobedience, is a disease of the old man. Just like a, a vine will have old wood, well, that's the old man, and that needs to be put to death. Because that, old, that sin will, will, will choke out your fellowship with God. It'll choke out uh, good works because you're doing bad works. And so the Father will discipline us and prune us through Scripture. He prunes us through the fellowship of the saints. It says in Hebrews 10:24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, yes, it says not forsaking, but it's sandwiched in between why? That we provoke one another to love and good works. And that we exhort one another. That we help one another. And so the Father uses the fellowship of the saints as a way to, to prune us and to, to, to help us, to sanctify us. That is a kind and loving God that uses uh, the, the fellowship of the saints to, to cut off the dead wood to, to, that we might produce more fruit. First um, Peter 1, verse number 6. The Lord sends trials our way that he might prune us. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are heaviness through manifold temptations. But the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and the glory of the appearing of Christ Jesus whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So why do you have heaviness? Because it says if it need be, 
only if it's necessary. Why do you have trials? Why do you have sorrows? Why do you have temptations? Why do you have trials of your faith? Why do you have, um, why does it feel as if you're put through the fire? Because it's necessary. That's what Peter said, if it need be. If you're in a trial of heaviness through different temptations, it's needful because the Father has, has, has ordained it to be needful for you, for your good, for your benefit, for your, ultimately for your joy, that you might produce fruit in you. So the Father, as a kind husbandman, prunes the, the living vine. He cares for the living vine. He, he works in the living vine. That, that more fruit that he provides, so there, there can be no good works apart abiding from Christ, there can be no works apart from the Spirit, and yet he continues to sanctify us that we might produce more of the fruit that he, that he works in us. So sanctification is God's work. It is God's work. Yes, we obey, and yes, we keep the commands, but, but this, the process of sanctification is God's work. And if there is life, there is fruit, and there is sanctification, because that is the promise of the gospel. That is the promise that God has given us, that, that God will sanctify us. He has set us apart, and he will, he will continually help us and make us to, to follow after him. See, this is the odd thing about people who conflate those two branches because they want to see if there's enough fruit or if the fruit has the right quality. Then they counsel to try harder or God will burn you up. That, that you'll be left out. If you don't try harder and work harder, then, then God will cut you up and burn you up. But that's not what's, God, what's going on here. Jesus has shown us that the fruit is not the result of our works or how hard we try, but it is fruit is produced because there's life, and there's life because Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And that the Father prunes us that we might have more fruit. That the fruit is the, the production of, or the result of abiding in Jesus. See, I want you, I want to, and I want you to live holy lives and to put off sin, to obey God. But that's what the Father wants too. And the Father knows that you're not perfect. Otherwise, why would he, why would he prune us, so to speak? Why does Jesus say that the Father will prune us if, if God doesn't know that we're not already perfect in this this flesh. No, it is God who has promised to work in us in Christ. And I think there's comfort in that for us because it's not God's not going to get tired of you and just say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to cut it off and, and throw it away. I'm tired of this branch. I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of the failures. Gone. No. The Father works in the vine and, and prunes and that the, the, the desire of the Father is much fruit. And so there is comfort there for us if we are in the vine that, that the Father uh, will sanctify us. He will um, glorify us. The wise husbandman wants fruit 
at the harvest. And he wouldn't cut off the fruit-bearing branches even when they might not produce as much fruit as others. He will work and prune so that they will produce more fruit. But what about the other branch? Like I said, some people conflate the two branches, but I think it's just because the pruning is done. The one branch has life and fruit, and the other one doesn't. One mortifies the deeds of the flesh and the spirit. The other one lives in the flesh and walks in the flesh, devoid of the spirit. One branch has the spirit, one branch doesn't. One has life, one doesn't. One has fruit, one doesn't. We're not talking about a quantity because you know, if you have to produce so much fruit, well, how much fruit do you have to produce? And of what kind of fruit? Right? How much, how much fruit does there have to be? And what about people who are producing fruit but have been in the vine for 50 years versus somebody that's been in the vine for one year, right? So the fact is not the quantity. It is, is there life? Is there faith? Is Christ in you? Well, if you trust in Christ and believe in Christ and abide in Christ, then you are saved and you will produce fruit and there will be more fruit as the Lord works in you and as the Lord produces it in you. So it's not the quantity so much to have assurance, but is it there? Because if it's there, that means that we are abiding in Christ. Now the dead branches, the other branch, doesn't abide in Christ. The dead branch is not in the true vine. The dead branch is probably in the other vine. These are people who say they have an interest in God, but are not in Christ. These are people like Judas and the priests. Judas was a disciple. Judas was baptized, but Judas had no life. He had no fruit. You say, well, Judas did a lot of good works. Well, did he do a lot of good works? Because you read the Gospel of John and you'll see that he did good things and then John will say, yeah, but he was also the one that was stealing from, from the people. He did a lot of good works. He raised a lot of money because he was stealing. All right, so he, he, didn't do, he didn't have any fruit. He had no fruit because he had no life because he wasn't in Christ. The priests looked very religious and they were doing lots of things, but they had no life because they were not in Christ. Their sins weren't forgiven. And being in the proximity of truth didn't make them saved. It didn't save Judas. It didn't save the high priest because Judas didn't abide in Christ. Judas wasn't clean. Judas didn't have the spirit. Judas produced no fruit. He had no faith and he had no life. And so the Father will purge him. There, there's no life there. He's cut off and burned. Why? Not because he didn't work hard enough, but because he wasn't in Christ. The only hope that we have is being in Christ. The only way to have life is to abide in Him. The only way to eternal life is to abide in Christ. The only way to produce fruit is to abide in Christ. The only way to everlasting joy is to abide in Christ. He is the true vine. He is where life is. And if you abide in Him then you are safe. If you abide in him, then he will sanctify. He does sanctify. He has sanctified. He will produce fruit in you. He will, he will strengthen you. Even whenever you fail, the Father comes along and says, well, we need to prune this sin out of your life and mortify this sin out of your life and 
And it's an ongoing process. For every day, for the rest of your life, the Father will, 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 will bring you along and strengthen you and help you. And, and, and your many temptations and your many trials are the way that God uh, uh, produces fruit in you. So take comfort and take heart and abide in him, abide in Christ. May the Lord add the blessing to his word this morning. I pray that you all abide in him.